Hi, everybody. John Filippelli here for Curtain Call. I have the distinction of flying solo. That's right. I am solo at the moment. I'm by myself, by my lonesome. Kevin Sullivan has left me for an assignment. Hopefully he will come back. I, I will beg him to come back. So you have me for the next hour, and I will do my best to inform and to entertain you. If you like what you hear and from the feedback we're getting, you do. So thank you very much. You must rate, you must review, and you, you must subscribe. RRS. Repeat after me. Rate, review, subscribe. We need that. Okay. So thank you very much. You guys are doing it, and we appreciate it very much. And I speak for Kevin. Again, he's away on assignment. So here I am by myself. All right, let's talk about a few things, if you will. As we record this, last night was the seventh game of the World Series. It was a fascinating World Series in that I don't know what money you could have gotten if you're a betting person that the home team would not have won a game, a single game out of seven. Everybody fights for that home field advantage. Well, they may think twice after this series. Seven games, and the road team won every game. I mean, that is just phenomenal to me. And uh, but you got to tip your hat to the Nationals. I mean, every how many games, how many times that they face elimination, and every single time they fought back and they and they they persevered. They got off to a terrible start, and there were there were questions, thoughts that the manager David Martinez would be gone, and there was a lot of dis- dissension on the team and whatnot. I don't know where that all came from, but once they righted that ship, they were uh, they were an elite team. They were one of the best teams in the game. And uh, you look at the talent on that team and you have to just shake your head because it's incredible. And when it all came together for them, it came together at the World Series. And you look at the starting pitcher, you look at what Strasburg was able to do, you know, uh, you know, 2-0 and and, and was, was just phenomenal. He's been a phenomenal postseason uh, performer. You look, at, uh, you look at the great work that they got out of uh, Max Scherzer. And Scherzer gave you one of the great gutty performances that I have witnessed in 45 years of, of being in, in the industry. It was an incredible performance. You know, he was—he obviously was in a lot of pain, and there were doubts if he was even a couple of days before that he could—he had to be scratched because he, he couldn't lift his arm and his back was killing him. And you know, he got—he persevered. He got some cortisone. He persevered, and that was a gutty performance. It wasn't his best stuff. It wasn't his best command. But yet he stood out there, and he like the champion that he is. And Max Scherzer, make no mistake about it, like Strasburg, he's a champion, and he gave it all that he had. And and then the clutch hits that Rendon is is gonna. He's gonna he's gonna be a free agent. He's gonna make a lot of money. A terrific player, one of the best players in the game. Juan Soto, an emerging star who just screams. Now he's now he's more than an emerging star. He is a star. So between the, those performances and there were others, obviously the Nationals were able to. Uh, and it was great for Ryan Zimmerman and his uh, as he's close to a curtain call in his career was able to you know go out a champion. So you know there was a lot of great storylines there. The Astros on the other side of it, you know they 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 played hard. They played well. They just left too many men on base. They made too many, you know, mistakes in, in, in key situations, and they weren't able to keep the Nationals down. The Nationals were just relentless, as it turned out. I mean, again, the, the home team losing every game to me is mind-boggling. But having said that, it really was a very interesting series, and uh, you know, baseball needed a seven-game series. And I don't know what the ratings will be because as we as we're recording this, I haven't seen them. But I'm sure the ratings will. Game seven will help elevate the ratings. To and I'm sure if people watched it, they, if they weren't baseball fans, they would become one because the games were riveting. They were dramatic. They were f- filled with you know every every you know every dramatic moment you could have, including umpires who you know uh, were were making calls and that, that quite candidly in a situation like that, do you really make a call like that? Do you really say interference or call somebody off? being out of the baseline. I mean, really, in a, in, a, in a game like that, with all that meaning, with that was such a close call, and it's a judgment call. Do you really go that way? 
I mean, I don't know. I don't think that I would do that. But you know, and you got a first base umpire there, by the way. Why did the first umpire, first base umpire, get involved? There were just questions about that that just, just you know, boggled my mind. But anyway, getting all past that, Rendon saved that situation by hitting a home run, and Nationals went on to win to overcome, you know, what I thought was an egregious umpiring, you know, some umpire mistakes. But anyway, having said that, the series was terrific. It was a fun watch, and uh, I will break down the Yankee season because when we left you last. We did not uh, have a chance to put a bow on that. We will talk about the Yankees and and what they're about to do in the postseason, what I believe they'll do in the postseason, and what that team for next year may look like and may look like. We'll do that after we talk to the great Kenny Singleton. He's our special guest on Curtain Call, and we'll be back right after these messages. The Nets look to make a run at the top of the East, and you can watch from anywhere with Fox Sports Go. Every big dunk. Every shot from downtown, all season long on Fox Sports Go. Welcome back to Curtain Call. John Filippelli and uh, Kevin Sullivan is uh, not with us this week, but he'll be uh, joining us uh, in weeks to come. So it is me solo. Speaking of me solo, I have one of the best guests. This is a great guest. We've had a long list of distinguished people on, on this show, but I will tell you there isn't a classier individual than the next person on Curtain Call. That's Kenny Singleton. He's a three-time All-Star, was a three-time All-Star. Four times he finished in the top 10 in the MVP balloting. 1977, he finished third. 1979, he finished second to the late, great Don Baylor. Uh, his stat line was 35 homers, 111 RBI, 295 batting average. 1983, he got a ring as part of the championship Orioles. Uh, he's a distinguished broadcaster now for the Yes Network. Kenny Singleton has about done everything there is to do, whether it's playing baseball or behind the mic, uh, in front of the mic, behind the mic, and put a mic anywhere, and Kenny Singleton will just be uh, just excel at whatever he does. So he's my next guest. So Kenny, how are you? Welcome, Kenny. How are you? The flip. How are you today? Good to talk to you once again. Always a pleasure. Uh, same here. Same here. So I understand a little birdie told me now that uh, you're not going to retire, that you're going to come back to the Yes Network this year. A little birdie told me that. Well, uh, I think that little birdie was you because we had a <laughs> nice discussion about it. And, you know, I, I'm very flattered that you being the boss at the Yes Network and executive producer that uh, uh, that you had, uh, wanted me to come back. And, uh, you know, this is not the hardest job in the world. I, I love my job. You know that. And uh, covering the Yankees all these years, it's a great team to cover. I've been here for 23 years, and they've had a winning record every year. So it wasn't hard. It's hard to say no to you, Flip. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I appreciate that, and it's a, it's just a, it's just a delight to have you as part of Yes. I mean, there isn't not just your broadcasting skill, but what you bring to us in terms of uh, you know your your class and the way you treat people. Uh, I don't know anybody better. So it's uh, it's our honor. Um, all right, Kenny. So listen, you were drafted by the Mets in 1967. You hailed from Mount Vernon, yeah. right? That must have been a thrill, yeah. right? Hometown? Yeah. It's not everybody, you know, when you go into the draft, you're not sure who's going to pick you. Mm-hmm. I, I knew the Mets were interested in me. They, they had a scout, uh, a longtime scout of theirs, Bubba Gennard, who was uh, one of their better scouts. And uh, he had followed me for years, along with uh, several other teams in the New York area. I, I played in the Bronx Federation League. And uh, I, I drove down from Westchester every weekend. We would play a doubleheader Saturday, doubleheader Sunday. And a lot of our games, there were a lot of scouts there. And I was about 15, 16, maybe 17 years old. And I was playing against players who had uh, uh, come back from the minor leagues. They, they weren't good enough, but they had professional experience. 
and uh, they weren't good enough to make the major leagues, but they had professional experience. And so I was facing the pitchers like 25 and 26 years old and um, and holding my own. And the scouts uh, thought I had a chance, and the Mets eventually drafted me uh, number one. I think I was third overall in the country. Uh, they, they had a January draft in those days, and uh, uh, that was uh, the when I was drafted in January. And uh, the rest is history. I went off to spring training. Uh, my first uh, minor league camp, and uh, I, I remember I hit a home run in one of our inter-squad games, yeah. and one of our old uh, uh, scouts or managers came up to me, put his arm around me, and said, son, you're going to be in the big leagues in three years. And I, I, I was thinking to myself, didn't you just see that home run? I was thinking like three weeks. <laughs> so, uh, he was right. It took me three years and two months to get to the big leagues. Well, but obviously when you got to the big leagues, you never looked back. and you know, It was your apprenticeship, if you will. Yeah, I, I never went back to the minor leagues, uh, which uh, unfortunately I, I played uh, pretty well, you know, right from the start to, uh, you know, sustain a major league career over 15 years. But I did go 0 for my first 11, and I, I felt like, well, I'm, they're going to send me back to the minor leagues. But uh, I got a base hit in, in a game in Montreal, and next time I played a home run, after going 0 for 11, and I was kind of on my way. Uh, Gil Hodges was the manager, and the next day he, he came to me and he said, after, he said, well, the guy hits a home run the night before he gets to take the lineup card out. And I, oh, I was so impressed. Uh, <laughs> I thought there was something that happened every day. No, it wasn't. He was just uh, making me feel good about hitting my first Major League home run. Do you remember the names on that lineup card? Ooh. Yeah, well, it was Cleon Jones, you know, Subota, Art Shamsky, sure. uh, Bud Harrelson, uh, the guys like Ed Crane. No, Crane Pool got sent out when I got called up. Uh, I think Ed Charles was still there. The Wayne glider. Garrett. The glider. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, we had some pitchers Tom Seaver, yeah. uh, Jerry Kuzman, Gary Gentry, Nolan Ryan. Those are some pretty good pitchers. Well, uh, Tuck McGraw. <laughs> those. The Mets were known for their pitching staff in those days. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of players from the, who played on a championship team in '69. You, you went pretty much through that roster, one or two exceptions, but for the most part, that was that team. Yes, it was. Um, uh, in '69, the, the year before I got called up, uh, I was playing in the Texas League, which was Double A, and we happened to win the championship that year in Double A. I had an All Star season. Um, I was the last cut in spring training in, in 1970, and um, uh, I went to the minor leagues, and Tom Seaver told me as I was leaving the clubhouse in spring training, he said, you get off to a good start, you can be back here in June. Well, June 24th, I was back in the big leagues, hmm. and I was back there to stay. Uh, I was having a, a fantastic year in AAA. It was maybe the best stretch of hitting i would ever done anywhere. Uh, on June 1st, I was hitting 400. Uh, and leading the league in home runs. So it was not only hitting for batting average and, uh, and hitting for power, but my on-base percentage was over 50%. I was on base uh, 51% of the time. So uh, wow. in, in those days, they didn't know much about on-base percentage. They really didn't think about it. But when you think about it now, getting on base 51% of the time over a two-and-a-half-month stretch is pretty good. You had a really nice a couple of years with the Mets. Uh, and again, hometown yeah, roots uh, and Mets. I, with, with the Mets, I, I was pretty good, but I got traded to Montreal. Right. And, uh, and I think that's when I really started to come into my own as a player. Uh, 
um, it was um, my first really big year. Uh, I led the National League in on-base percentage. I scored 100 runs, drove in 100, hit over 300, and hit 23 home runs. So that was my really first big year in the major leagues with the Expos. And once again, it was Tom Seaver towards the end of the year. Uh, we were playing the Mets, and he came up to me and said, Kid, you had a really good year this year. And I, you know, anytime you hear something like that from Tom Seaver, uh, you know, it makes you feel pretty good. Uh, uh, no doubt. And you were traded, when you got to Montreal, you were traded for Rusty Staub. And uh, Rusty yeah, Staub is a pretty uh, distinguished player, too. So, I mean, you were the you were the principal player in that deal. Yeah, it was uh, myself, Tim Foley, and Mike Jorgensen, three young players for uh, Rusty Staub. I think uh, Rusty's uh, monetary demands got out of hand with Montreal. Yeah. Uh, they were sort of a, an expansion team in those days. And uh, they, they were looking for younger players to build their organization and three players who could play right now in the big leagues. And that's what the Mets were able to give them for Rusty, who helped the Mets get to the World Series in 1973. Um, uh, it, those, it, 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 the fans in Montreal weren't really happy with this trade. Well, Rusty was their big star. But once they realized that any time the Expos did win a game, one of the three of us usually had something to do with it. And they they they, they took to us uh, eventually. It's, and, uh, yeah, it's tough. It's tough uh, getting... It, it, it was a good place to play. It's tough getting when a veteran, when a veteran play, a player is very popular, a veteran gets traded. He's traded for some terrific prospects, and but they're prospects to the fans until the until they show otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you quickly showed otherwise, and and you and you really did uh, thrive in, in Montreal. And you wind up in Baltimore, and you meet the Earl Weaver. What was that like? <laughs> in in yeah. one thousand words or less, what was that? What was that like? It's a truly unique experience of playing for Earl. Uh, I can recall uh, being traded to Baltimore, and I was kind of happy about it. Uh, I, I was called by uh, the general manager of the Expos, Jim Fanning. And, um, you know, Mike Torres uh, was traded with me in that deal from Montreal to Baltimore. Mm. And we had been out the night before, and uh, the Orioles traded for Lee May. And we said, oh, man, that's really going to help the Orioles. Lee May's a good player. Uh, he's got power. He drives and runs. Uh, so the next morning, about 6 a.m., my phone rings, and it's Mike on the phone. And he says, Ken, uh, uh, I got traded. I said, oh, Mike, you know, I'm really going to miss you. I said, where are you going? He says, I'm going to Baltimore. I said, oh, we were just talking about that last night. I'm really happy for you. He says, no, you don't understand. You're going with me. And I said, <laughs> what? Nobody's called me. He says, well, after we talk here, your phone's going to ring. And sure enough, about five minutes later, the phone rang, and it was Jim Fanning, the, the GM of the Expos. And he was telling me that I had been traded to the Baltimore Orioles, although I already knew about it from Mike. And uh, I was kind of happy. I was going to Baltimore. Uh, we get to spring training. Uh, the first person I run into as I'm walking in the door was Brooks Robinson, uh, of course, the Hall of Fame third baseman, uh, and uh, one of the nicest guys you ever want to meet. And he says, Ken, welcome to the Orioles. Uh, you don't have to do it here yourself. We've got a lot of great players on this team. And I walked in the clubhouse, I looked around, he was absolutely right. There, there were, uh, you know, several players. Uh, oh, some you of them can name him, Kenny. Hall- you can name him, Kenny. Uh, like Jim Palmer. Right, Boop Powell, uh, you know, Jim Mike Palmer. Quayar. Mike Quayar. Uh, Dave McNally. Of course, uh, Don Baylor, Mark Belanger, uh, Paul Blair, uh, Elrod Hendricks, 
you know, Grant Jackson, all these were, were very good players. I knew I was on a good team and I wanted to stay there. Uh, and of course, uh, as you mentioned, the manager was Earl Weaver. Now, uh, Paul Blair told me during the course of spring training that uh, Weaver would be all right in spring training. You know, the games don't really mean that much. Um, but, you know, I found out quickly that this guy was, he was tough. Yeah, he wanted the game played a certain way. And if he didn't do it, he was going to get in your face and let you know about it. We we went to um, play the Yankees. So the Yankees trained in Fort Lauderdale in those days. And when we got off the bus, this is the first exhibition game of the year. Earl says, these are the guys we're going to have to beat all year. We might as well start today. And I'm thinking, this is an exhibition game. It does, it's not even going to count. You know, it's... And I think we scored seven runs in the first inning. And um, I came up again in the first inning, and I, I had already hit a double. And he, he just looked at me, and I said, Earl, how's that? And he said, go up there and hit another double. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew we couldn't satisfy this guy. How, how do you contrast Earl Weaver to uh, Gil Hodges? Uh, to Gil Hodges? Yeah. Uh, Gil was the strong, silent type. Uh, he, You could see that uh, you know they're both very good managers. Uh, and he was a strong, silent type. Earl was loud. Uh, umpires hated him. He hated them. Uh, he was screaming from the first pitch of the game. Uh, we played well. I was on some great teams in Baltimore. Ten years there, we won. We had a winning record every year and got to a couple World Series. And more or less, you're playing hard to try and keep him quiet. You know, so <laughs> he wouldn't be yelling. Because, like I said, if you made a mistake, Flip, uh, he was on your case right in front of everybody. He would embarrass you. And, uh, you know, nobody wants to be embarrassed in front of the whole team. You don't want a manager cursing at you. So, uh, you know, you, you, you played hard, uh, and uh, you hope for the best. Fortunately, we won uh, quite a few games. You played probably in the, the mo- the most, one of the most emotional games I, I've ever witnessed uh, was the game that you guys played against the Yankees. Uh, Thurman Munson had passed away in a plane crash. Yeah, tragically, and the team the, the team had uh, was went to the memorial service. The Yankees did, and they flew back uh, to play the Orioles that that night at the stadium. And it, Bobby Mercer told me that it was the most emotional game that he ever played in, because it obviously was for Thurman Munson. And I remember you telling me at one point in the conversation that we had had somewhere uh, that you you know you hated to lose. You weren't about losing, obviously. But if you had to lose one game, this was one game you really didn't mind so much. Well, Flip, that that particular that, that was a, a major loss, not only for the Yankees but for all of baseball. Uh, Thurman was well respected throughout the game. I had a, a tremendous respect for him. He was a big time leader of the Yankees. He might have been the leading figure on the team as far as uh, leadership. I think eventually, you know, if he hadn't passed away, he would have become the manager of the Yankees. I, I really feel that. I think George Steinberger held him in that regard, um, that uh, he eventually would have become the manager of the Yankees, but unfortunately he was killed in a plane crash. And uh, that particular night, uh, I can recall that the, the stadium itself, it was a, we played, it was a really hot night in August, and uh, it, it, it felt like it, you know, a thunderstorm was going to break out at any moment. It was that kind of humid night. Uh, we did play the game. Uh, it, it was the stadium was really subdued. Um, we we were leading the game, and, and in fact, I hit a home run in that game. 
and uh, you know the only one I ever hit off Ryan Gidry. And um, we were leading, but uh, Bobby led the comeback. And I can recall as after he got the winning hit, it was a walk-off single off Tippy Martinez, uh, who was a tough left-hander. Uh, talking to Bobby over the years, he felt that uh, Billy Martin would pinch hit for him, but he let him hit against Tippy, you know, left on left. Hmm. And uh, Bobby came through with the hit. And as I was walking off the field, I was thinking, well, if there's ever a game that the Yankees are going to win, let, let it be that one. Hmm. Um uh, it, it uh, you know, it was a sad night. Uh, the fans, of course, were happy that they had won the game. But overall, it was just uh, just a, a very, very, very sad situation uh, for the New York Yankees and, as I said, for Major League Baseball. Uh, that particular year, um, I was thinking one reason why I maybe I didn't feel so bad about us losing. We, we had a pretty good lead on the division. We went to the World Series that year. And, um, that was 79, uh, Kenny, 79? Yeah, it was 79, yeah. Uh, I, I had a good year. You I, had a great I year. Second in, yeah, I finished second in the MVP to Baylor. Um, and Baylor had been a good friend of mine. Of course, we were teammates in Baltimore for that one year. And if I was going to lose the MVP to somebody, I, I figured, well, let it be him. Mm-hmm. Although, I, I will say this, uh, as I look back on it, if you go by the modern metrics and analytics, if they, they looked a little deeper into, they look a little deeper now into the statistics and how players are defined. I think in this day and age, I would have won uh, because you know I had a better on base percentage, better slugging, um, and, and and other metrics that were uh, higher than Baylor's. Although he did lead the league in, in runs batted in, and um, I, I also thought that uh, I was on the better team. Of course, we went to the World Series, and I thought that's one reason that. I, I should have won, but I didn't. So it, it's water under the bridge. Do you know what you both were? You and Baylor were both leaders. I mean, yeah. two of the most respected players in the game. Uh, you led by example. And I, I mean, I know Yeah, Baylor was a tough, he was he really one was of the tough. toughest players <laughs> he really I ever was. played with. He was very tough. He loved to get hit by pitches. <laughs> he just. He yeah, just oh, <laughs> I think he held the record for a while. I think Vigio eventually broke it for being hit by pitches. <laughs> Something like but that. But I remember Baylor telling me one day, uh, he, he said there was a pitcher pitching against us who had hit him like three times. Hmm. And Baylor said, if he hits me again tonight, I'm going to go out there and pinch his head off. And <laughs> I was thinking, you know what, he's going to do it. But uh, fortunately, he didn't get hit that time. So. Well, I mean, you had a great, you had an overall, your career was terrific. And uh, I, it, what was your, what, what was, would you say was your best moment as a, as a professional player? One moment. Uh, what was what, Flip? Your favorite moment as a player. Oh, uh, of course, it was in the World Series mm-hmm. um, in 1983. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had already been to the World Series in 79 and we kind of blew it. We were up three to one and we lost to the Pirates. So we had a, a as a team we got a second a, a chance in 1983, and we had 15 of the same players on the team that we had in '79. Now that usually doesn't happen, and it's only because we had a good team and they didn't make too many changes. Um, so we were able to win in '83. Uh, the next year was my last year playing, and uh, the next year after that I went upstairs to the broadcast booth and I've been there ever since. So it's it's. I've been connected to Major League Baseball for over 50 years now, so it's it's been a nice long ride. It's been a great ride for you, and it's been a better ride for for Major League Baseball because of the, oh, the character person that you are. 
Uh, all right, so now we've got you in the broadcast booth, right? So <laughs> would you, did you initially work with the great Dave Van Horn? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, when I got to Montreal, uh, Dave, of course, is a Hall of Fame broadcaster now. He still does games for the Marlins on their radio network. Uh, I learned a lot from him. This is before the days of iPads and computers in the booth. So you had to have a way of uh, finding information. We had a whole library behind us in the booth in Montreal. And while we would talk about something uh, and we didn't quite know the answer, in between innings we would look it up. Of course, now all you do is punch a few keys on your iPad and it's right there. Uh, so um, it, it was the information was there. It just wasn't as instantaneous as it is now. Uh, I, I learned a lot from Dave. Um, uh, I learned pace of game, uh, what was important in the game, what wasn't. There's always something happening on the field. Uh, I worked with him on radio, so I, I, that's where I, I first learned my play-by-play skills. And uh, then eventually we, we did TV as well in Montreal. When we weren't on TV, we were on radio. So um, uh, that, I was there for 12 years with him, and it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. You know, the Expos were okay some years. Some years they were really good, and other years they weren't good at all. So I, I saw the whole gamut of uh, Major League Baseball up in Montreal. Uh, that was a team that couldn't afford to keep their best players. Uh, every year you knew which players weren't going to be back the next year. Uh, in 94, they had a great run. They were in first place. And, of course, as you remember, the season got canceled. Yes. Um, the Yankees, and, too. The uh, Yankees, too, had a great year. Yeah, season. that's right. They, they were on a they collision course. They were looking course. forward to playing yeah. the Yankees in the World Series. They were. They, they were. Course. Yeah. And uh, the whole city of Montreal was uh, just enamored with this team. But uh, once they canceled the season, I remember Bud Selig making that announcement. That's when baseball started to go downhill in Montreal. That The fans decided that uh, they thought it was some sort of conspiracy to keep them out of the World Series. And uh, they just didn't come back. It's not to the numbers that they had been there before. And eventually, as we know, the, the Expos had moved on and eventually became the Washington Nationals, who are now the world champions. You know, you talk about the team in '94, you know, and the World Series that won't, won't happen or didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you look at the some of the players. Now, I'm doing this off the top of my head, so hopefully, I've got some of these right. Uh, you know, there was Randy Johnson, there was Pedro Martinez. I mean, there was Vlad Guerrero. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, they were just stacked. Yeah, uh, Larry Walker, Larry Walker, Marquise sure. Grissom, Marquise Grissom, uh, Moises Alou. Uh, Dennis Martinez, Pedro Martinez, right. yeah, uh, Kenny Hill was a good pitcher. Oh, Kenny Hill, yeah, sure. Like yeah, Wetland players. was the closer. Wetland, yes. John, oh, that's uh, right. Mel Rojas was the um, setup guy. Mel Rojas, uh, yeah. who happened to be Felipe Alou, who's the manager. That was his nephew. He had his son <laughs> and his nephew <laughs> playing for him. <laughs> yes. so, and both were big parts of the team. Isn't that something? Um, Look at those players. Look at that roster. Uh, we were playing the Braves late in the season, just before the season got canceled. And the Expos went in there and swept them and took a six-game six lead in the, in the National League East. And I, I, in those days, that was the um, uh, MLB Network games. I think it was, what, what was it called Baseball Network. The Baseball games. Network, yes. You were part yeah. of the Baseball Network. You were broadcasting part of it. Yeah, and I worked with Pete Van Weeren, who of yes. course was the Braves The late great Pete was a great man. And in those days, they pair one broadcaster from one team with another. And I thought it was a pretty novel idea. 
That was me. You got the, it was actually me. Yeah, I knew it was you. <laughs> <laughs> and they all yelled at me. They all yelled at me. I said, how did you say It worked very well. I thought well, because you got the perspective of both teams. Well, it worked very well until we had the idea. I had the idea of putting Phil Rizzuto into Boston. And that didn't work out. So, <laughs> that, that wasn't going to work out so well between yeah, him yeah. And, uh, and Jerry Remy. I, I don't know what would have happened. Uh, I know the audience has yeah. no idea we, the river of the baseball network, but we were part of it, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And we were it was MLB, NBC, and ABC. They were, but we had the, like the game of the week or the Monday night. We called it Baseball Night in America. We were the first ones to do that that Night in America theme, if you will. And uh, uh-huh. and so we carried that. And in the postseason, it was NBC and ABC splitting the postseason games, and it lasted two years. The strike killed it because. The revenue we couldn't yeah. generate from sales, so that went away. But we had the production of having to do the time there were thirty or twenty-eight teams of baseball, so there were fourteen games a night, which was like a Herculean <laughs> task to do. It took it took three networks to do this: NBC, ABC, and we we used ESPN as well. So we had everybody doing this project. It was maybe the most fun I ever had, Kenny, because it was like I got to work with all these great names in broadcasting and put them together and uh-huh. have fun with them. And they were all so awesome. And that's really where I got a chance to see your work. I mean, I knew you as a player, but I didn't know you as a broadcaster. It was my chance to see you grow. You know, and it, ben, we're, and it had too. to be a production nightmare, though. It had to be it, a production nightmare. It was a production nightmare because <laughs> we ran out of people who are not, not going to understand this, but we have these things called control points where, you know, we take the game in and the game gets integrated with commercials and it goes out through it like a control room well we didn't have there were not 14 control rooms at that time anywhere so we had to use Uh nbc abc and espn their studios just to get this thing on the air it was the craziest thing (laughs) kenny i was ever involved with but but it you know it led me to some wonderful people that i wound up having great friendships with for many many years to to the president hopefully you know down the road as well you were one of those so so all right now we've got you in broadcasting and you're you're excelling in broadcasting and uh where were you the first time you heard the the yankees were gonna have their own television network you remember where you were at that moment that they were gonna have their own network. yes remember where you were what your reaction was to I had been doing uh, the games for MSG, so um, uh, so I was already with the Yankees. But then when I heard they were going to form their own network, I was thinking, "Well, I was wondering if they're going to keep me." <laughs> so, uh, uh, at, you know, eventually, of course, uh, uh, the decision was made by you to, to keep me on with the Yankees telecast, and I'm, I'll be forever grateful for that. Uh, my family too, and um, uh, I, I, I'll tell you what, it's been quite an experience and how I heard you, you put it together in less than six months, which is kind of uh, tough to do. I, maybe you can explain that better than me, uh, putting together was, a network in yeah, that period of time. That was that was the thing. That was the one thing when George Steinbrenner and I talked and he said, you know, you got to get this thing up by, by March. And I said, oh, next March? And he said, no, this March. <laughs> and I said, that's four months from now. He said, yeah. He said, you could do it. And I said, I don't know that I can. I mean, that's that's insane. I don't know that I can do anything in four months. And he says, to me, you could get this network on here. You, you go do it. I, I believe in you. You better get it done. And he walked out. So here you go. We had a yellow pad and I had the great Ed Delaney who handled all our technical stuff with Mike Webb and, you know, hired the, you know, some great people that we had met at the baseball network, uh, you know, along the, most of the baseball network, because that gave it a chance to meet everybody. So we had a lot of people in place, a lot of producers, directors I had known in the business. I mean, I kind of knew everybody. So it gave me a broad canvas and a lot of people wanted to work for the network. And that was our good fortune. And, uh, but we knew, I mean, I, when it came time, uh, when it concerned you, we knew right away. I mean, I, I knew right away that you'd be part of this and you should be. You know, it would flip it. It's, 
it's a great source of pride for me to work for Yes because of, Yes is well respected when we go around the country and do these games. Um, you know, they, everybody seems to be, all the local people that we work with, they're on their P's and Q's when, when Yes Networks comes to town uh, because they know we've got a great show and we, we expect a lot. I mean, it's the Yankees and uh, uh, we, we've got to put on a good show because there's a lot of people watching. You know, there's a lot of people in, not only just in the New York area, but around the country on, on satellites and around the world. You know, we, we've gotten, you know, I wouldn't say fan letters, but letters from people all over the world or in this day and age through social media that watch the games. I can remember doing a West Coast game, and I thank the people on the East Coast for staying up late watching this game mm-hmm. uh, because I think it had gone into extra innings. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, on Twitter, you get messages from people in India, in Europe, in Australia who are watching this game, in Japan. And I'm thinking, what time is it in these places? You know, just the, just the fact that uh, there's Yankee fans all over the world. And I've, I've come to appreciate uh, just what baseball means to people just about everywhere. There's, there's American people that are spread out all over the world, and it gives them a little bit of home when they can watch a Yes broadcast. Well, that's uh, that's you know that's very kind to say, and I think that there's a lot of truth in the fact that it is global. I mean, because I I get emails from people too from all over the world, and some of the some of the nicest people, and then there's the occasional you know whatever. But you know you get you hear from everybody, and, uh, and uh-huh. uh, but I uh, if you let me ask you a question, if you could go back in time, right, and there was one game, just one, that you would have loved to have broadcast from any era. What game would you have liked to have been in the booth to broadcast? Oh, that, that's a good one. But uh, I think it would have been uh, the one I missed because I was on the train coming from Maryland, uh, coming from Baltimore to New York. It was David Cohn's perfect game. Mm. Uh, that game was not on Yes. I think it was on, uh, right. we we on Fox it, in those days. Uh, there was no Yes. Yeah. It was a local game. It was on, uh, probably right, that probably would be Fox. I believe it was like Channel yeah. 5. Yeah, it was Bobby, uh, Bobby Tim McCarver, and Tim, Tim McCarver. McCarver. Yeah. yeah. I think it was Channel And uh, I, I was on the train. I remember getting off the train at Penn Station in New York because I was working the game the next day. And uh, somebody walked up to me and said, hey, Ken, how are you doing? He said, David Cohen pitched a perfect game tonight. I said, yeah, okay. And so yeah, and I went up to the hotel, turned on the TV, and was watching the sports. And sure enough, he had pitched the perfect game. And, uh, you know, Coney's become one of my favorite people. Uh, not only is it was he a great pitcher? He's a good guy, and he's a tremendous broadcaster, and uh, he's well prepared. I like that when he when he comes on the air. He, um, so we ha- we have fun together on the air. But uh, that particular game that I missed because the year before, I, I got to do uh, David Wells's perfect game, and uh, years before that, I had gotten to do uh, Dennis Martinez's perfect game when I was uh, uh, doing games in Montreal. So. Now, that would have been my third one. I, maybe I'm getting a little greedy, but there, there might be another one next year somewhere down the road. Isn't that, I, isn't that something? You start thinking about <laughs> – uh, uh, I start think, I was thinking about the Yankee perfect games the other day, right? And uh, you start to realize, I mean, how, how incredibly special something like that yeah. is. I mean, it's it's so rare. I mean, I don't know whether there have been 20, 20, 20, 25 of them in the history of the game. Think about the history of the game. How many tens of thousands of games have there been? <laughs> And it's yes. just been a handful of perfect games, and to to witness that uh, is really something. And you know, obviously, we you know, Coney works at Yes, and you know, we uh, we all have great respect for his talent behind the mic, and also for his talent for what he is as a person. He's a lot like you, yeah. and he's very, very 
He's very well respected. He's a good guy. And he makes the hours, which could be insane, and the extra innings, and the rain delays, and all the stuff that goes on in the course of a season, and the make-up doubleheaders, and all the craziness that is part of the season, and we all know what that is. And then we could talk about some other craziness, too, that exists around it all. But it, it's it's a, it's a maddening sometimes. But it, but the lifestyle is, so, is such where if you if you surround yourself and you're lucky enough to work with good people who know what they're yeah. doing, have a passion for it, and they're and they're good people. You know, you, you like being around them. That's everything. You know, if you could do that, then you don't mind the fourteen inning games and the rain delays and the hundred degrees and all the stuff that goes on in the Christmas season, <laughs> right? I mean, that's yeah, really we what got it's a about. good cast of people. Yeah, we got a good cast of people. Uh, all right. Uh, just, yes, speaking I'm, of rain delays, flip. Yes. There was a, a rain delay in Kansas City. And uh, we were fortunate enough to have Buck O'Neill on during the mm, rain delay. Mm, the great, this was years ago. And of course, he has since passed on. Right. But he was so good during this rain delay. It must have been about, about a half hour or so. I was, I, would, I was hoping it would keep raining so he could just stay on. Yeah. But, uh, of course, it stopped raining and the game continued. But that, that was, I guess, one of the best interviews that uh, went on for you know, at least more than 15, 20 minutes or so. And he was just so good, and his memory was sharp about uh, you know the Negro Leagues and uh, you know playing the Kansas City Monarchs, and and he was so revered in Kansas City. You know now that they have the the Buck O'Neill seat behind home plate, that a lucky fan gets to sit in every night during the Kansas City Royal game. So that uh, that that was one of the best interviews I was ever involved in. It's a great thing when you could be part of history, you know, and you could mm-hmm. listen to history and you witness history and you're able to articulate history in a way and give it context in a way that it makes sense to other people. I think that's one of the great skills that uh, any good broadcaster can have is the ability yeah. to interview. And it's not just the ability to interview because it's, what you're really trying to do is draw something out of your subject. And sometimes the subjects are very good, and they could just they put it right out there for you. And other times they they give you a line or two, and you have to sort of figure out. It's like a like a puzzle. You have to figure out where do uh-huh. I go with this. I've got a line here that I might be able to. It's like fishing. How do I reel it in and and make something out of this? And I remember uh-huh. that interview. It was it was it, it's one of the best interviews. You're right, and and it was you did a great job with it because you understand you understood the subject which a lot of people don't, you know, I mean, sometimes you have to live it to understand it. And when you understand it, you can articulate it. And I, I thought you did an incredible job with, uh, with Buck. And, Thank you. And he was a legend. I think one thing you have to remember is that there, there's a lot of youngsters watching, you know, watching Yankee baseball and, and younger people who, who weren't around then, you know, they don't, they don't, uh, you know, they don't uh, know the uh, historical context that you're speaking in. So you have to really, have a good subject to talk to, and then Buck really got his point across how how it was to play in those days, and you know some of the great players he had played with or had seen, and uh, it, it was really a fun interview. Uh, and I was really, like I said, I wanted the rain to keep falling, but eventually mm. we had to start the game again. Did you ever meet Jackie Robinson? Yeah, I did. Oh, flip that, that's. Oh, thanks for bringing that up. I I met him. Oh, I was so. Uh, how can I, I? I was so overwhelmed by his presence that I, it was hard for me to speak to him. Um, I met him when I was playing for Montreal. Uh, he was in Montreal for. Remember, he had played for the Montreal Royals before he we went to mm-hmm. Brooklyn Dodgers. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he he was in Montreal for some sort of uh, reunion, and uh, you know I was a young outfielder at the time, and I'm standing next to him 
the batting cage. Now, my dad was a big Jackie Robinson fan uh, when Jackie was with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Of course, uh, as most fans know, I grew up in New York. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the games were always on TV. I remember we had black and white television, and, and I'm watching these games. And uh, I, I, I just loved baseball right from the start. My dad introduced me to it. And um, I, I, I really, <laughs> I was tongue-tied. This, this is the great Jackie Robinson. Mm-hmm. It might be the reason why I'm a Major League Baseball player is because of this guy. And, and you know, him leading the way and the way he did it um, enabled uh, others to follow. And uh, I, I, I wanted to articulate that to him, to thank him so much, and I, I I really can't recall what I said or didn't say, but there's a lot that I should have said that I probably didn't. And, um, uh, yeah, I would have been speaking for a lot of other players, not only myself. And now that when you look at baseball and you see that it's a worldwide game, uh, it's not so much in America. You've got players coming from everywhere. Uh, So I I think it's not just uh, African-American players that uh, owe him a debt of gratitude. I think it's players from Latin America, players from Japan, players from Australia, wherever you're from. Uh, it, uh, it made baseball a worldwide game and, and the best game there is. You know, if I if there are times when when I, I mean I've traveled around and I've you know been doing this a really long time and I've met a lot of players and sometimes the thing that that I leave and it's, I have to have to scratch my head over sometimes is the lack of understanding. There's a lack of history about how, how who why you are here, who preceded mm-hmm. you, what they meant to the game. If you walked around and said, Kurt Flood, okay, to a lot of people who play the game, they oh, yeah, I heard that name. Well, what did he do? Well, I don't know, was an outfielder? I mean, I mean there's, there's, no, there's not a context to, you know, the mm-hmm. reserve clause and what he did to get the reserve clause, you know, basically, yeah. you know, overturned and allow free agency to exist. And, I mean, that – if I'm a player, I mean, I'm eternally grateful for the struggles that he went through personally to because yeah. he believed in it and that cause. And, you know, when you believe in a cause, I mean, Jackie Robinson, I mean, obviously the color line and all that he did. I mean, mm-hmm. not to have an understanding of that, I think, is, is almost criminal, to be honest with you. Well, basically, Kurt Flood gave up his career. You know, that day, nobody was going to sign him after that. So um, after he challenged the reserve clause, now eventually – as we all know, the you know free agency came about. It came about, I think, about four or five years into my career, and I found out right away that I was worth a lot more money than I had been before, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I think my salary doubled. Uh, uh, no, I, 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 the Orioles gave me a five-year contract. That's what it was, and uh, nobody had ever had more than like a one or a two. That's for sure, and. Uh, uh, I remember uh, Ron Shapiro, who was my agent then, is my agent now, and uh, uh, he said that uh, they really want to keep you. And I, I, I thought to myself, well, if I'm not playing in Baltimore, which is already a good team, uh, I, you don't want to go somewhere else where uh, you, you might be in with a bunch of jerks. You, you never know. Mm. So I, there's either two places I would have played, either Baltimore or going back to New York. And I, I know that uh, over the years I've learned that I was one of Mr. Steinbrenner's favorite visiting players. So um, whenever we would come to Yankee Stadium, of course, I was from New York, he would give my parents and my aunt and uncle the tickets right next to the Oriole dugout, which I thought was really nice of him because mm-hmm. sure. he didn't have to do it. 
And uh, I have a picture uh, downstairs that shows my mom ducking out of the way of a foul ball that Doug DeSensei caught. So that was very nice of George and the Yankees to do that. And um, uh, I've also heard that they, they tried to trade for me a couple times, and, and Baltimore said no. So um, no, Baltimore was smart. Uh, Baltimore was smart. <laughs> you played a, you had Reggie for a year, didn't you? Did Reggie Jackson play with you guys? Yeah, you? Reggie was with us for, for a year here in Baltimore. That was the bit of an interesting fact, year. <laughs> yeah, he was there for he, he was there for less than a year because he didn't show up till May. Uh, <laughs> and and then of course he left to become a free agent, went on to the Yankees. And of course, have uh, a great uh, career with the sure. Yankees and then with the right. Angels. <laughs> but. I began to realize after Reggie left, that's when the Orioles offered me the five-year contract that I was talking about. So I'm thinking, if Reggie had stayed in Baltimore, would they have offered me the five-year deal? When I was looking for security at the time because I just had um, my first child, my oldest son, Matt. And, um, you know, of course, you're looking for security, and the Orioles were able to provide it for me. But then I began to think, if Reggie had stayed, maybe I'd been playing somewhere else because they wouldn't have had the money to give to me. So... Yeah, it's strange how things work out sometimes. And you got a year of Reggie's wisdom, you know. So yeah, we, we had Reggie. Yeah, Reggie was, he, he was great. I bet uh, he, he was had a good I bet, year. Yeah, I bet he was good in the clubhouse. Yeah, he, he had a good year, but uh, you know, he he was looking to move on to the Big Apple, you know, and uh, the, the, he was the type of player that, that George Steinbrenner liked. Oh, loved, Somebody is, loved, is, loved. Reggie used to say, "I put the meat in the seats," you know. That's right. I bring my star with me. He used to always yeah. say, "Wherever I go, I bring my star with me." And, you know, you know. Somebody used to say, it's not bragging if it's true. You know, and it was true. I mean, Reggie backed up everything he put on the line. Reggie backed up. So, you yeah, know, he whether you it. like Reggie yeah, or you don't, you got to respect him. Great player. Oh, great player. You have to respect as as you were. Let's not mitigate how, you know, what a great player you were as well. So, you know, Kenny, I, I really appreciate the time today. Thank you for being part of, of Curtain Call. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, I'm glad you're coming back to the Yes Network. I'm really glad you're coming back here. And uh, you can uh, always I, have a whole I am too, you know, Flip. So it's a lot of fun. Um, like I've told you before, you're not so much a boss. You, you really know what you're talking about, and every time you criticize us, it's, it's constructive, and we move we move forward from that point on. And uh, you know, you, you're probably the main reason why Yes is the number one regional in the, in the country. So um, well, I, I really I've really enjoyed my time. It's what next year be my 19th year with Yes since the beginning. Yeah, so right, for, 19 years. It, right? It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, we did it in four months. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the unbelievable part to me. That, uh, uh, you know, did you did you think it was going to be like this? You know, as, no, as I, it's grown over the years. No, we had, we had no idea. I mean, I, you know, I I knew that we could do the games because uh, you know I, but was it experienced? At, you know, I was at NBC. I was at you know the baseball network. Fox. I knew how to put an had an idea how to do a network, and I had obviously done a lot of baseball as a producer. So I, I knew that end of it. It was all the other things like they were in charge of programming. Things like I never programmed. What do I know about programming? I couldn't even program a VCR. Uh -huh. You know, what do I know about programming? So now you're in charge of like a twenty four seven network, and every five minutes, Mister Stiver just called me, going, "Is it done? Do you have this done? Do you have that done?" I, you know, I, no, I, I didn't even finish a cup of coffee. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm a yellow pan and we're trying to put names down and make shows and uh, you know put all things together and, and it was it was a crazy 
crazy, crazy. I mean, it's the craziest thing I've ever done. And I, I don't recommend if you longevity is important to you <laughs> that you try to put a network on here in a couple of months. It's not, but it worked. Listen, it, we look back, it was great. It worked. And we're all here. And it was a wonderful thing for all of us. And I'm really glad that you were part of this because, I mean, you certainly played a huge hand in the success of this network. And we and I could, I'm forever grateful, not only for that, but for your friendship. So, Kenny, I thank you for your time today. And I look forward to seeing you down the road here, okay? Okay, Flip. It's my pleasure, as usual. That was uh, Kenny Singleton. And, uh, you know, I must tell you, in, uh, I've been doing this, uh, as we've talked about uh, probably too many times, a, a very long time. And I've had the pleasure to work with a lot of very terrific broadcasters and gentlemen. And But I don't know that I've met one who is, was more of a gentleman and uh, than Kenny Singleton. He embodies what it means to be a team player. He is uh, always there when you need him. He will do anything to make a project better. I know that Yes is a far better place for having him, and I am very, very grateful that he's been part of my life for all these many years. And even when I didn't know him, and he was a player I didn't know him well, I respected him. And obviously, as I got to know him over the years, mostly as a broadcaster, my respect for him just grew and grew. So he really is a you know quite a unique individual, and he's seen so many things. But again, a, an individual who, by his presence, makes uh, makes a situation better and makes an environment better. So it's a, it's been a great honor to have him here, and I'm really happy he's coming back for another year at Yes. So that means a lot to all of us. So I'm really glad Kenny thought it through and decided that at the end of the day, it's what he wanted to do. I mean, there was no pressure from us. It's what he wanted to do. And obviously, I welcome back him back to continue his, his great run at Yes. So, Kenny, you were a wonderful guest, so thank you very much. Okay. Now, I promised at the top of the show that I would do talk about the Yankee season. We never really got a chance to do that. I wish Kevin were here to lend his perspective. He is not, so I'm going to have to fly solo on this, and you know, and I'll, I'll give you my my best my best efforts on it. Again, this is just my opinion. I haven't really talked to anybody in the front office, and I mean, I use I do sometimes, but I haven't done it yet since the season ended. It was a very tough loss, as you know, as everyone knows. If you're a Yankee fan, it was a really really tough loss to swallow. You see the Altuve ball just you know, leaving the ballpark, and and after a the Yankees left everything on the field, they left everything on the field. I've got to they've got to say this was not for lack of effort. It was an extremely heroic effort on their part, and you know they gave it everything that they had, which they had the whole season. That's why the season was such a success. They had so many players on the injured list at one time or another. They had thirty different players on it, and they were I don't know every every major player except one or two, maybe two players, Lemayu and Torres, found themselves at one point or another on the IL for some stint. And it was really, it was debilitating, but at the Yankees, you know, again, with the you know next man up philosophy, and Brian Cashman and his incredible front office found a way to plug those gaps and to, to give this, the team, um, you know, life, continue to give it life and to move. And to every time they made a move, it interjected some energy, some other energy or some other piece that they needed. So together they were able to actually, they flourished. It was a very, very solid year. I mean, LeMayu showed what, a, I mean, everybody, I mean, most people knew, knew baseball, followed baseball, what a good player he was. But you know what, he's, he, he, had a, he, had a, he had a great season. He's now a great player, or he was for this year. He gave the Yankees everything he had. I mean, he from stop to bottom, every, time, every big play, somehow he found himself in the middle of it. He was just a tremendous addition, and the Yankees would be smart, obviously, to lock him up. They originally signed him to a two-year deal, now one year is expired. He's got one year to come. To come, so the Yankees would be smart to try to get him under contract. The same would go for Torres. 
I think Torres had an had an incredible year. He really did. He really grew up before your eyes. Everybody thought he had great potential. And you see it coming. He had a pretty good year last year, but this year he just kicked the door in. It was just amazing. Again, if he played the Orioles every day, oh, poor Orioles. He just killed them. He just hit like 10 or 11 homers off them by himself. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. But a great young player, a young player whose best years, barring injury, are to come. And you could see why he was the crown jewel of the Cubs system. And, you know, they really didn't want to part with him. But to get Chapman, which they needed to get to help them get to and win a World Series, and he did that for them. He helped them. He really was, especially to get there. He was an incredible help. So they needed what he gave them. So, And I don't think they're going to look back and say, well, we got a championship and he helped us, but you know what? We had a trade labor to us. They might, but the, at the end of the day, what you really want is that championship, first and foremost. And the Cubs got it because of Chapman. And, and so the Yankees got it in there. And that deal will come down as what, probably one of the best deals the Yankees have ever made because they've gotten, they will get, they did get Chapman back when all was said and done. So it, Glaber is a fabulous player. He showed his maturity. He showed what he could do on the field. He showed his gl- glimpse of greatness and, and then some. And the Yankees would be smart to lock him up for years to come. So you've got you need to lock up Torres, and you need to you need to sort of try to find an extension if you can for Lemayu. What the Yankees are going to do in their other holes, they've got to get starting pitching. They absolutely need another starting pitcher. The idea, I'm sorry, the idea that you could do this solely with a bullpen to me is. Is not. I don't agree with it. I uh, I think you need the bullpen obviously to fill the holes and to get you through games for sure. And, and they're there and they're a great fallback. But you can't, especially in the regular season, you cannot fall back on a bullpen every day. You'll burn them out. And even in the postseason, it's hard to. So you saw what happened to Harris and some of the guys where they they kept pitching all the time. They get exposed and people start to the pit, pit hitters start to square them up and start to realize what their strengths and weaknesses are and what they'll do in a given situation. I mean, it can go for starting pitching too. That's why you don't leave a starter in for the third time around because the offense of the team on the other side maybe figures them out and they know what they'll throw in a given so, and they've seen all their pitches and that's why you don't do that. That but having said that, the Yankees really need another starter. Now that could be Cole. That very much very well could be Garrett. Call, although you know I, he, he's from Southern California, I'm sure the Angels and Arnie Moreno will do their best to try to lure him in there. He's going to get a lot of money, and there's going to be a lot of suitors for him. If Steven Steven Strasburg opts out, and I tend to think he will, although he may stay with the Nationals, I don't obviously don't know what he'll do. But if he's on the market and is willing to you know consider offers, uh, he, I was I would think that there would be a lot of interest in him as well. So starting pitching, again, is a key to the Yankees. You know, Tanaka is solid. He's, you know, he's a solid starter. Paxton showed glimpses of true. I mean, he pitched great against the Astros. And when he finally found the Sea Lakes, he pitched really well. Again, the Yankees won the games when the starters went deep into the games. The deeper you can get your starters to go, the better you're off because you eliminate the middle, those middle innings and the middle guys from the bullpen. And that's usually the underbelly of a team. So the Yankees, again, you know, between Paxton, the, the Tanaka, you know, the Yankees were, where you know where Severino comes back if he comes back and he's the Severino of old and could be that flamethrower that he was and I have every reason to think that he will be the Yankees will have an ace at the top of there and have and if Paxton is healthy Tanaka Yankees are soft. Yankees still need another pitcher somewhere and and if you could just imagine that pitching the strength of that team if they were able to get a Cole or a Strasburg to sit on top of that rotation the Yankees would be have a phenomenal starting 
starting pitching, and I tend to think that that's the kind of pitcher you need in a postseason and one that could carry you to a championship. In terms of the other holes on the team, the other positions on the team, I, you know, I have no idea if Brett Gardner is going to stay a Yankee, and I'm sure he wants to continue to play. I'm sure the Yankees would like him back for one year. I don't know that the Yankees would sign a multi-year deal because you know he's uh, because of uh, you know. Gardner is, is now starting to, you know, his, his age is advancing. I don't know if they would give him a multi-year deal, but I certainly think that for a one-year pack that that might be in the offing and that could happen. Again, I don't know. I'm not in that room with Brian Cashman and his group when they're making uh, those decisions, and they make them very, very well. So I'm not out to second-guess anybody. I'm just out to give you my own perspective on it, okay? And uh, I think that, you know, uh, that's a tough call there with the Yankees. But, again, if you're out to get a Garrett Cole or Strasburg, it's going to cost you a lot of money, and the Yankees have to find that money. You know, I don't think Didi's going to come back. I don't think the Yankees will give him a qualifying offer. I don't think there'll be any offer. And that's $18 million or so that the Yankees are saving there. You couple that with C.C. Sowery, Sabathia, who's retiring, not coming back. Maybe a Gardner. You throw that in, and you're more than you're more than competitive for a Garrett Cole or a Strasburg or someone of that ilk. I don't know if there's anybody of that ilk other than those two. But I think the Yankees need to land one of those two. They need to lock up Torres. They need to lock up LeMayu. I mean, Judge, again, you, you know, Judge has played through some injuries. He hasn't had a, a full – he had that one full season where he had the 52 homers. He hasn't really had a full season since. He's very, very capable in a full season. But the Yankees need to see that he could give them a full season. So it's early yet in his career. The Yankees don't have a sense of urgency. Right now they don't have to worry about locking him up. At some point they might, and I think they'll cross that bridge when they get there. Sanchez, you know, they've got to give Stanton. You know, I, I know they've been injured. They, they're questionable in some respects. But when they're healthy and right, they're, they could be really big cogs in an offense. And it's too soon to say, let's make a deal, let's do this or that. I think the Yankees owe them at least another year to see what both of them could do before they make any assessment. And I'm pretty sure that that's what you'll see there as well. So, again, I like um, the Yankees' shopping list really, to me, started. I mean, you can always use the bullpen piece. The Yankees are very good at collecting them. What happens to Chapman? Does he opt out and decide he wants to be a free agent? That could very well be as well. Then the Yankees, what do they do? Well, that bullpen was strong, so maybe Britain becomes a closer, and they don't have a great sense of urgency to shop beyond that, maybe fill a middle spot, which might be easier. So, again, the Yankees are on that, that starting pitching ball. We can't say it enough. We said it every aspect of this. And going back to look at the Yankee season, it very, very heroic. They did a terrific job. Too many guys on the IL, and they fought through that. Every piece that they brought in, Encarnacion, not not very successful against Houston in the playoffs, but a very nice, successful little run for the games that he played at the end of this year for the Yankees. He will not be back, obviously. Um, and the Yankees will take that money and apply it to elsewhere. You know, Ashilla showed a lot. You know, he, he, I'm sure he'll be back. The Yankees will figure that out. You know, Tachman will come back from his from his injury. He'll be back and play next year as well. So, I mean, the Yankees will have the pieces. The Yankees have some farm pieces, that, and they have certainly have the, the resources to go get uh, anything that they may need to get. So it's going to be an interesting offseason. They should celebrate the year that they had. They went very far. They didn't get to a World Series, which ultimately is a disappointment to not get to a World Series and, of course, to win it, which is the mission statement of, of, of every team that wants to, to win in baseball. You need to win that series. It's time for the Yankees to, to do it again. They haven't done it in a while. The fan base is a little restless. I'm a little restless. I would like to see another championship, obviously, soon. And I think, they, I think they're very close. I really do. Again, I think that we're missing that one major piece, and hopefully they'll get it. The year was a success, though. In the aggregate, it was a success. Like I said, they fought through a lot. They accomplished a lot. They won over 100 games. You know, they, they, they kept Boston at bay. Um, you know, they, they played good ball. They played exciting ball. 
you know, their their power was not was uh, was evident. Was it evidence all the home runs that were hit? But again, you don't win championships in the postseason solely on power. You've you got to be creative and score runs. There's a lot of ways to do this, folks. And I think the Yankees are very, very close to getting where they, they need to get. I think Aaron Boone did a great job keeping this team in a situation where they were always competitive. And he managed a crisis. He managed a ball club, but he managed a crisis. And that's really hard to do. He kept the team together. No matter what happened, no matter what major piece went away or went down, he kept this team together. So he deserves a lot of credit, he and his coaches. Don't forget the coaches. People forget them all the time. They did a wonderful job as well. So there's a lot to be proud of. There's a lot to be celebrated. But there's also a lot of work to be done yet. And that's kind of where I'll leave this in terms of the Yankee season. So, uh, like I said, Kevin Sullivan not with me. Hopefully we will get him uh, back at some point. The great Dan Bassone is sitting with me. Hello, Dan. And is our sort of our chief engineer, bottle, water, bottle washer, cook, and an all-around good guy here. And we would be lost without him. So I might tip my hat, and I would my, ha- my hair would fall out if it already didn't fall out. So there you go there. But uh, So we look forward to uh, our next show, which will be in a week. So again, you like what you hear, rate, review, subscribe. I will be back with you in a week. Hopefully Kevin Sullivan at some point will rejoin us. And uh, we'll, I'll be back with our very special guest at that time. I know who it is, but I'm not going to tell you. Why? Because I just want to do that. I want to tease you a little bit. I'm going to tease you on who the guest is. So use your imagination. By the way, if you'd like to hear from somebody, send us a little note. Maybe we're able to accommodate you. Somebody from the world of broadcasting, sports or media, if we can find a way to get them on the show, we will certainly do that for you. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you down the road very shortly. Thank you. Bye.